a child keeps finding one more way to take bedtime and put it off for another five minutes. A book sits for weeks with the bookmark perilously put at the very last chapter so that you don't have to finish it. It's been that good. A man is eating a steak, and as the steak gets smaller, the bites get smaller to make sure there's always one more bite left to have. You're binge-watching, and you manage to make it through 10 episodes in a week, and then all of a sudden you're like, no, I'll watch that tomorrow. I don't want to see the finale yet. I'll put it off just one more day. Or that experience where you have a date that's about to be over, and you're about to head back to someone's apartment to drop them off, and you decide to do one more, two more, three more, four more circles around the block because you just don't want that conversation to end. It is my belief that as human beings, we are at our core biologically, spiritually predispositioned to hate things to end. We just know that really good things are not supposed to stop. They're not supposed to go away. They're not supposed to be the last. This is why we hate telling people goodbye. This is why we hate funerals, is because we just know deep in our person, this isn't the way stories are supposed to end. There should not be a moment where we have to give this up because it is too good and it is too beautiful. There's no reason why it should go away. Uh, I think that from bedtimes to hospice, we all know that we reject endings because they're just not good enough. Um, I think sometimes as a church, uh, may, not particularly our church, but I won't say we're off the hook either, but the church in general has done a bad job of occasionally branding itself as a place that is about endings. If you go to a Christian bookstore and you see what's on the wall, they just you can find all kinds of crucifixes, right? All kinds of crosses, all kinds of images of the dead. If you go to a fancy cathedral, you'll see beautiful sculptures of Mary holding Jesus slain. And kind of we've become known as sort of that morbid bunch of people that's always talking about a, a guy getting executed. That's the thing that we talk about. It's kind of how we're known. And it doesn't help when our worship services are kind of glum and sad and depressing or other things like that, right? When somebody walks into a church and they're like, Christ the Lord is risen today. You know, like it just doesn't scream, hey, we're people of new beginnings. It's this is where you come to have your funeral. And that's just sad because the reality of things is that Christians are not Friday people. Christians are Sunday people. We have always been that. There is a reason why we meet on Sunday morning and not on Friday night or Thursday night or Wednesday night. We don't debate that today. There's a reason why we meet on Sunday morning. If you have picked up your New Testament recently, you will find that Jesus dies approximately 33% of the way through. I did the math this week. Literally two-thirds of the New Testament occurs after the death of Jesus. 
And it's why our biggest holiday has always been Easter, and the second one is Christmas. Because we like babies and resurrections. That are the people that we are. It's at the core of the identity of who the church is, is she loves new things and new life and new beginnings. Um, Friday night, if you were with us, we talked some about the cross of Jesus, and we talked about death, and we talked about the end of the story. We talked about how sin isolates us from other people, how sin can isolate us from the society around us, and how sin, most of all, isolates us from God. And we talked about how Jesus on the cross takes upon himself all of that loneliness, all of that isolation, and does away with it. But that isn't the end of the story, and it's really important that we go to it. Well, I would have loved to see you all Friday night. If there had been this many people here Friday night and that many of our people here this morning, that would have been depressing because we are people that talk about the resurrection. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time um, in the Gospel of John today. Uh, before we get going, I do want to talk about resurrection for a minute. I do know that some of you, particularly if you are visiting church for the first time in a while, or you are um, someone who loves to come to church at Easter or Christmas, but not other times, or maybe you're just skeptical about faith, uh, we talk about resurrection, and you kind of go, oh boy, here we go again. Right? A guy getting up out of a tomb, someone being raised from the dead. How is that possible? Why would you believe that? All those kinds of things. Uh, I cannot answer all those questions for you today. Let me say a few things to try to engage that, and then if you want to ask more questions later, that'd be great. Uh, first of all, we do have witnesses of all of these things happening, and uh, those witnesses could have been easily disproved. Uh, the Gospel of Luke is explicitly, we're told by Luke that he wrote this by interviewing eyewitnesses of these events and writing down what happened. And when Luke was first published, there were people who were still alive who experienced Jesus' death who could have gone, that's not true. I was there. Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. I can show you where his body is. And yet those witnesses were not shot down. That testimony did not get discredited. If anything, it grew and grew and grew. Uh, similarly along that line, we know that Jesus created a movement that spread the world in an incredible, rapid way. Uh, if you have trouble with the resurrection, one of the important questions to ask is, uh, given that there were dozens and dozens of failed Jewish messiahs, if this was one more, why did he start the largest religion in the history of America, human civil America? That was terrible. I mean, yes, America, but also generally, more generally, human civilization. Well, how, how did that happen if he was just yet another of a long line of people that made these claims and then died? Uh, also, it's helpful to know that doubts existed amongst his disciples. Uh, if you get this picture in the New Testament, that Jesus raised, and everyone's like, oh, yep, that's normal, resurrection, boop, 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 boop. No, if you read the stories, his own disciples look at it and go, what? What's going on? There are these stories where they come to the open tombs, and they go, why is it empty? Where's his body? And the angels have to go, hello, how we, talk we talked about resurrection, Jesus told you about this. So they had some of the same doubts that we do. Um, and finally, and I think this is important, I saw this in a really good article this week, um, from a scientist who is writing from the perspective of both a scientist and a person of faith. There's literally millions of us who have experienced the risen Jesus working in our lives. And we can tell you about it. I know there's dozens of them in this room that can tell you what it looks like and what it feels like for Jesus Christ to be alive today. 
And that includes people like Pascal. That includes all of the great scientists, not all of the great, but many of the great scientific minds of every century. There were people who experienced the risen Jesus in their life. If that's not enough, that's okay. I know it's hard. We can talk about it some other time, but that's all I have time for today. But uh, we do believe that Jesus is raised. And this is one of the stories about that. Uh, John 21, verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Brendan? <laughs> Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, and they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they, la- excuse me, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals with the fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, uh, to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of, Jonah, of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. There's a lot of great things about this resurrection appearance. Uh, There's Jesus. I love Jesus kind of mocks him a little bit for the lack of fishing ability. Hey, I haven't caught anything yet. You know, in the boat, they're like, shut up. You know, like, it's not good to have a night full of empty fishing and then have somebody tease you about it. Uh, It's great that Jesus makes them breakfast. Jesus understands. We talked about this a few weeks ago. This is the way human beings go, that your heart is more open when, it is, when you have a full stomach, right? And so Jesus prepares breakfast for them. But generally, this is a story about Jesus undoing the work of sin and the work of the cross. Like we said uh, on Friday, we talked about how we're separated from others and separated from God when we uh, have sin in our lives. And in this story, we have Jesus undoing the separation. The disciples who scattered have now come close. The disciples who did not want to confess their belief. Notice Thomas the doubter is in this group. Peter the denier is in this group. 
And their faith has been renewed by the time the story comes because resurrection undoes death. The resurrection undoes sin. And all of this is lovely, but I want to take a minute to focus more intently on Peter. We talked about being people um, who don't like stories to end. I want you to imagine for a second if Peter's story ends at the cross. Peter, for those of you maybe unfamiliar with the story, is one of Jesus' closest disciples, his closest friends. And Peter, uh, when Jesus is arrested and taken in on trial, Peter decides to follow along. And when they say, oh, hey, you're one of his disciples too, Peter starts getting a little nervous that they're going to take him to jail. And so he denies Jesus. He swears up and down. He literally curses at people and says, I don't have any idea who this is. And his story arc, if we end at the cross, is a really pathetic story arc. It is a man who was a hotshot, a know-it-all, somebody who was always the first to talk, that thought he knew everything, who was Superman, who the other disciples looked at and were like, oh, there goes Peter again, Mr. Teacher's Pet. Just a real pain in the neck. The kind of guy that you probably wouldn't like if you're one of the other 12. And he's always out front, and he's always starting, and Jesus tolerates it because Jesus knows his ability. But Mr. Fancy Pants has gone all through this gospel acting like he's the best guy in the world, and then when the moment comes, he is also the one who curses and says, I don't know who Jesus is. And we even see in one of the gospels a moment where Jesus turns and looks him in the eyeballs as if to say, yep, I heard that. And Peter is a pathetic character if we end on Friday. But again, we are not Friday people, we are Sunday people. And so there's more to that story. There's more to what happens, and this is it. This is Peter's reinstatement. This is Jesus welcoming Peter back to the fold. Now, it's not without pain. There is acknowledgement of where they've been. There's the three times. If you don't know the story of the three denials, you maybe miss the subtlety. But when Jesus asks him three times, the scripture tells us very clearly, and when he asked him the third time, Peter was hurt. Because you almost, I always imagine it, Jesus looking and said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? As if to just say, it's three, buddy. The same three you denied me. I got to ask you three times if you're going to not deny me in the future. And that's not easy, okay? That is not letting your kid off scot-free. That is requiring confession and punishment and all that kind of stuff, right? You've got to face up to your stuff. We're not going to walk away from this like nothing happened. But there's still restoration. And it would be really easy for us to only look at the forgiveness, to only look at Jesus re restoring Peter to what he was. And sometimes that's the way we talk about faith. If you're broken down, if you're having a hard time, come to Jesus and he'll make you like new again. But the beauty of resurrection is he will not just make you like new, he'll give you something else to do down the road. Because what Peter gets here is this command, feed my sheep. And then Jesus makes this kind of dire prediction about what's going to happen in Peter's life. But it is clear that Peter is getting set up for stage two of his life, which is an active beautiful, vibrant, powerful ministry to reach new people and share with them the goodness of Jesus. The story of Easter is not just that God can fix your messes, it's that he can fix them so much that you can go do something new in your life. That you are not disqualified from moving forward. 
But if anything, he will use that to help propel you to something new. Your book is not only not ending, but you just got a sequel. There is more to do. There is more in front of you. And you have a new opportunity and a new day. Consultia, I see you, bud. If you want to write, ask a question, go ahead and write it on the, comment, on the question card for me, and I'll get to it. All right, so let's talk about us for a minute. Um, where are we? What are we looking at? How is our vision looking forward? Do we have these new vistas of where we're going? Uh, the reality is some of you may feel a bit like this today. Uh, I always am terrified of mud. There's this place uh, where Abigail does music class, and their parking lot is dirt. And this time of year, I'm terrified that I'm going to drive my little minivan in there. Is there anything more pathetic than a 35-year-old man trying to push his minivan out of the parking lot of his kid's music class? I just do not want to be in that spot, you know, with the mud flipping up on my face and all this kind of stuff. But that's how we feel sometimes. Some people sometimes feel stuck. And we don't feel like we're going to go anywhere. And that there's no other future. There's no other thing. We feel like this is it. This car is stuck, and I am going to die with this car in the mud because I have no idea how to move it somewhere else. And it maybe sounds silly, and I put a little humor in it, but it's also really depressing. Sometimes that looks like you don't want to get out of your bed in the morning because you said, I don't know what today looks like, and I don't care. And some of us have been in that spot, that depth of stuckness. And the beauty of the resurrection is that you do not have to stay there. You have an opportunity for a new day. Whatever your hang-up is, whatever your problem is, whatever your sin is, whatever your financial situation is, whatever it is that got you stuck, you do not have to stay there. And the good news of the gospel, you know, a guy gets up on a street corner and goes, I want to preach to you the gospel, and many of us don't even know what that means. Well, let me tell you what it means. You don't got to be stuck anymore. You've got a new place to go. And God wants to do something amazing with your life if you will trust him to do the hard, the, the hard lifting. And so much, we fight it. It's like, I, I want to get out of this mud, but I'm going to do it by myself. Yeah, good luck with that, pal, right? We've seen this with kids. Oh, I, I was talking about kids because I've got them. You know, the, the three-year-old is like, I do it. I do it. Okay, you cannot do it all day long, or you can let me help. And that's where we sit with God. We feel so stuck that life can't be any different and can't be any better. And he says, no, I write new chapters to new stories. Your story does not have to be over today. I get so worked up. I don't, these are my happy slides that are supposed to be at the end of those parts, and I don't click them when I'm supposed to. Um, I want to tell you a little bit of story. So some of you may be sitting here today. I know some of you see me once a year, and this is your once a year day that you see me. And you're probably thinking to yourself, that sounds a lot like what he said last year. Right? That the Easter sounds a little similar every year. Uh, there's a story I love about Martin Luther. Um, Martin Luther wasn't a perfect guy by any means. There's a lot of things I don't like about Martin. But one of the things I do love is this story. He was a preacher. And if you know anything about Martin Luther, he was always preaching sermons about the gospel. And for Martin Luther, that's a very peculiar, particular theological thing that we're not going to get into. But every week... Martin Luther wanted to preach the gospel. And his congregants got a little tired and bored of it. And so the story comes that one of them came to him and said, Pastor, why do you preach the gospel every week? 
And he looked at them and said, I preach it every week because every week you go home and you forget it. And that was his idea. I'm going to give you good news. I'm going to tell you about what Jesus did for you. Because every week I tell you, and then you go away, and then you forget it. I preach about new beginnings and new starts because I think most of us forget it really, really, really quick. You might leave here today, I hope, going, I had bacon, we had candy, we had a good time. Let's go. Let's go conquer the world, right? Yeah, all right. And then on Tuesday morning, you're going to be like, oh, where did all that energy go? I was so excited about the life on Sunday. Because we leave it. It leaves us. We're human beings. We're frail. We're, we're um, fallible. And so I would encourage you, the reason we preach about having a new life in Christ every Easter is because we have to hear it. We have to hear that it is not over for you. You are not done. There is new opportunities to come your way. And so I'd encourage you to do it. Call on the Lord. Look for, look for help. If you're somebody whose spiritual life is just kind of middling right now, find a new way to devote yourself to hearing the Word of God, to being part of a spiritual community, reading your Bible, praying. That can sound like chores, but often when we get through it and we learn how to do it well, it shows us how to connect to the source of life and hope so that we're not stuck in the mud. Um, for some of you, that might mean um, just new activity. It may mean, yeah, you kind of go to church, but now the question is right now, what can I do? How can I move this to the next, the next level? Um, it may be that there's something in your life that you have been trying to fix for a long time and having a hard time to fix it. Now's the time you can fix it. Because every morning with Jesus is a Sunday morning. We are Sunday people, not Friday people. And so we do not wallow in our problems, but we exalt the fact that God's power can move us to a new place. And that's my prayer for you today, that you would look at the resurrection of Jesus and know no problem is too big. This is the over, if people say, well, why do Christians talk so much about resurrection? It's this. You've got a bad problem. It's not worse than being dead. This is just the basic logic of the gospel. No problem you have is worse than death, and that's a problem that Jesus stomped out like a sick old cigarette. He said, no more. Death's not a problem anymore. And if I can fix death, I can fix your addiction, I can fix your financial stuff, I can fix your family issues, I can fix whatever it is that's going on in your life. If I can fix being dead, I can fix that. And he wants to do it for you right now. And so I just encourage you to lean into that and trust that.